0: setting up systems and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Castor-Casbon, and I was so honored to be asked to participate by Vanita Litvak of Speechy Side Up, who put together this super innovative way for SLPs to get continuing education, a pod conference. I teach regular speech-language pathologists how to build successful private practices. And my podcast, The Private Practice Success Stories Podcast is focused on interviewing private practitioners from all over who share inspiration and information with eager listeners to prove that there is no one way to have a private practice, only one that's perfect for you. After I play the podcast introduction, we're going to go straight into the presentation. And then at the end, I'm going to share the top five questions that I get about private practice every day. Well, it feels like every day. Either way, I guarantee that you will learn more about private practice in the next hour than you ever learned in graduate school. So let's get to it. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Today, I would like to welcome you to this free presentation. It's part of SLP Live, and it's called How to Start a Private Practice Full-Time or on the Side of Your Regular Job. I want to thank Vanita Litvak of Speechy Side Up for inviting me to participate in this amazing and innovative opportunity for SLPs to get free CEUs via podcast. I love it when SLPs look out for each other, and I love podcasts. Now, before we jump in, I have a few disclosures. First of all, I own and operate The Independent Clinician, which sells resources and coaching for SLPs who want to build successful private practices. Additionally, I mentioned my podcast, the Private Practice Success Stories podcast and the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group, both of which are completely free but do generate revenue for my business. Now I wanna share with you the learning objectives. After this presentation, you'll be able to describe the five major steps involved in starting a private practice, discuss how to minimize the legal, financial, professional, and personal risks associated with starting a private practice, and discuss ethical considerations when starting a private practice. Now, I have a lot to cover, but before we do, I wanna make sure that you're in the right place. This presentation is for you if you are curious about the ins and outs of starting a private practice, either now or in the future, and also if you're frustrated in your current position and you want more control over your schedule, your income and your life, and you're hoping that private practice is the answer. Is something drawing you to private practice? If so, what is it? I want you to identify that reason in your head now. Now there are lots of reasons why SLPs pursue private practice, and I invite you to reflect on what those might be for you. Here's my promise to you. I promise that you'll learn more about private practice in the next 60 minutes than you ever learned in graduate school. I also promise that I will give you as much value as humanly possible in this free 60-minute training. Also, nothing I teach is based on theory. It's based on the experiences of myself and the over 5,000 SLPs that I have helped start and grow successful private practices. There's a right way and a wrong way to do this, folks, and I want to make sure that you know that. If you get nothing else out of this presentation, I want you to know that starting a private practice is actually relatively easy, but there are specific steps that need to be followed and in a certain order. Got it? Okay. In return, I ask that you'll keep an open mind about the new information that you'll learn today. I also ask that if you realize that private practice is the opportunity that you're looking for, you'll take action and commit to starting even on the side, to gain experience and confidence. Now, I wanna share a few tips for listening to this training. First, try to be distraction free. If you have your phone out because you're listening on it, don't be looking at other apps or scrolling Facebook or Instagram. As an SLP, you work so hard for others that I want you to treat yourself to this time of shifting the attention to you so that you can help yourself. I also want you to pay attention because you do have to pass a quiz in order to get the CEU credits. You've reserved a spot on this training and I want to make sure that you get the most out of it because this may very well be the most important presentation you've ever experienced. When I took the steps that I'm going to describe for you momentarily, it completely changed my life and it has the potential to change yours. You've been dreaming and searching for information about private practice for a long time, and here it is. To start, let's go back to graduate school. I went to Emerson College in Boston, which I absolutely love, and it's where I still teach an undergrad course and do some clinical supervision. So in grad school, we, meaning all of us listening, took courses on everything about speech, language, cognition, swallowing, and hearing. My favorite classes were aphasia and cognitive communication disorders, and I learned lots about those things and lots about everything else, but do you know what I never formally learned about? Private practice. What about you? Did you learn much of anything about private practice when you were in grad school? I've heard that Howard University has a course about private practice, but that's the only program I've heard of that addresses private practice directly. I had to learn everything on my own over time using trial and error. When I first started, there was no course or how-to guide. Starting a private practice is the number one way I took control over my professional, my personal, and my financial life. And speaking of life, I wanna introduce myself quickly. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I'm a speech-language pathologist, a mom, a wife, And when I'm not helping people start their private practices, I can be found at the playground running around with my two little boys, Hayes and Holden. Hopefully you've heard of my podcast, the Private Practice Success Stories podcast, where I interview successful private practitioners from around the US and even the world to learn how they got started in private practice and what lessons they've learned to pass on to those who are just getting started. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere people listen to podcasts. If you're a Facebook person, I hope that you're in my big Facebook group called the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. If you're not in it, request to join. It's a wealth of information and support. I've also been able to help people on a deeper level by being invited to speak at conferences like ASHA Connect or events such as SLP Live or the SLP Summit and also in my more intensive paid programs, the Start Your Private Practice System and the Grow Your Private Practice Coaching Program, which is my advanced program for private practitioners with existing practices who are looking to grow them. I always had an idea that I would end up in private practice. What about you? Is private practice something that you've been thinking about for a while, or is this something that you've never thought about, but here you are? You know, I think it was my dad who planted the seed when I was applying for grad school that maybe someday I would have a private practice. He was a businessman and he really wanted me to go into business. But I was like, dad, no, you know, I'm a helping people person, I'm not a business person. Business is boring and I'm not really about the money. I just wanna help people. Then sometime during grad school, we had a guest speaker come talk about her private practice. She just looked so confident and knowledgeable and I wanted to be just like her. But then she left and grad school went on and I fell in love with working with adult neurogenics and I graduated and I got my first job. I was incredibly lucky to land my dream job as a clinical fellow. I was fresh out of grad school and I wanted to be the best SLP that I could be. I wanted to help my clients not just a little, but to really, really help them and help their families too. So I'm going along and I'm about a year or two into the field and I started to come up against some things that started to bother me. I started to feel like I wasn't able to be as effective at my job as I wanted to be. Things like productivity requirements and meetings and endless paperwork and not having control over how many visits people got really started to weigh on me. And before long, Instead of feeling like I was going to change the world with my super SLP skills, I began to feel ineffective and stuck. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Is anyone else who is listening to this feeling stuck at your job? If you've been struggling with job satisfaction and burnout and feeling stuck, it's because you're right. You have very little control. You often can't do your best work as an SLP because of external limitations it's really really hard when another year rolls around and you don't get a raise again if you're struggling guys that's why this is the exact position i was in before something really crazy happened one day a chance discussion over lunch changed the course of my entire life i was sitting down to lunch with two of my co-workers You know those rare lunches where you actually get to sit and talk to your coworkers about stuff other than work? Anyway, it came out that those two people had their own small private practices on the side. I knew that they worked part-time with me, but I didn't really think about what they might be doing when they weren't working with me. So as it turned out, they both had wildly successful small private practices, seeing just a few clients a few times per week. I was dumbfounded. I had no clue that it could work that way. So I started to ask them a million questions and the light bulbs started going off one by one. My first aha moment was that they did not have rented office space. They saw clients in their own homes. They explained that while they could have office space, it was easier and much cheaper not to. I had no idea that that was an option. I always thought that being in private practice meant that you had to spend most of your money on clinic space, which I knew was a lot of overhead, and I didn't know how I would ever be able to afford it. Then they said something else that surprised me, and I had my second aha moment. As it turned out, they were private pay only. Neither one of them dealt with insurance. They were paid via check on the day of their session, and people willingly paid for their services. I guess I knew that some private practices were private pay only, but I mostly thought about psychologists. I asked if it was lucrative and they both nodded and smiled. One of them mentioned that they made more money in a few hours a week than entire days at the hospital. Now, I wasn't all about the money and neither were they, but it was intriguing to realize the possibility of cutting out the middleman. And then I had my third aha moment. I was also surprised to learn that they had had their own private practices for a long time, since they were closer to my age. I had always assumed that people started private practices after they had been in the field for 15, 20 or more years. I couldn't believe these things. It was like finding out about Santa Claus or something. Everything I thought was true about private practice was out the window. This was a life altering moment for me. On that day, I realized that there is no one way to have a private practice. My visions of waiting to be an older SLP so that I had enough experience and money to rent a brick and mortar practice with a waiting room were shattered. All I saw was possibility and opportunity to break out of what was expected and follow my own path. Now, I've just told you that there are lots of ways to have a private practice, and let's talk about the most popular ways according to ASHA's 2015 healthcare survey. Oh, and pay attention, because this stuff might appear on your quiz. So, according to ASHA, the most common payer source is private pay. 72% of private practices accept private pay followed by health insurance, private health insurance, at 48%, Medicaid, 34%, and Medicare at 20%. So the majority of private practices accept private pay, with about half being insurance providers, and fewer than that doing Medicare and Medicaid. When it comes to level of education in private practice, 96% of private practitioners have master's degrees and only 4% have doctorates. In terms of geographic locations where the most private practices are, the South comes in 36%, followed by the Midwest, the West, and the Northeast. The type of community that's most likely to support a private practice is suburban. 41% of respondents in the survey said that their private practice is in a suburban area, compared to city or urban coming in at 39%, so not much difference there. And then rural areas, more like 20%. This one might really surprise you. Did you know that 64% of speech pathologists who work in private practice are in private practices part-time? I'm gonna say that again. 64% of SLPs in private practice are in private practice part-time as compared to 37% who do this full-time. So if you've been wondering if you can have a successful part-time private practice, the answer is yes, because that's what 64% of the respondents are doing. When it comes to age groups who are being served by private practices, not surprisingly, kids in pediatric private practices make up the majority of what age group is focused on. No matter what your private practice is like, you get to be in charge of the treatment you give, you get to choose which clients you'll see, you also get to be in charge of your flexible schedule, and there is no ceiling on the income that you can earn. And most importantly, you get the power to choose to live your best life as a clinician, as a mom or a family member, and as a person. And I wanna make something clear. I'm not special. I had a dream, and I figured out how to make it come true. I never gave up. Private practice isn't easy street. It has plenty of its own limitations, but if you're looking for more control over your schedule, your caseload size, the types of clients you see, your income and more, I wanna share how this can work for you too. If you wanna start a private practice, there are two ways to do it. Path number one, the long and winding road. There are starts and stops, rocky roads, frustration, confusion, and angst. Or path number two take the stairs. Yes, walking up steps isn't necessarily easy. There's still work involved, but there's a clear goal, right? And there's only one direction. And there are specific steps to get there and in a certain order. And once you're there, you're there. Make sense? So now I'm gonna teach you my five step framework to start a successful private practice. This is the same framework that I have my students follow inside of my premium beginner course. So there are five steps in the framework. They all start with the letter P, you know, because alliteration. So the private practice success path is these steps, ready? One, picture your perfect private practice. Two, protect your practice. Three, promote your practice. Four, get paid in private practice. And five, prosper in private practice. Let's go through each of those steps. So step number one, picture your private practice. We've talked about this several times, but in private practice, you are the boss and you get to make the rules and choose what your private practice looks like. Here are some decisions that you get to make as the business owner. What hours you work, which diagnoses you treat, where you see clients, how much you charge, which services you offer, whether and who you hire, and which niche you serve. There is no such thing as a perfect private practice, only one that's perfect for you. It's hard to design a regular job around your life. In private practice, you have the power to design something that is perfect for you, your family, and your community. Okay, so now that you know what your initial private practice will look like, it's time to get those infamous ducks in a row and protect your private practice with a solid foundation. This is step number two. Getting the necessary protections to minimize your financial, legal, and personal risk isn't as hard and doesn't cost as much as you might think. Fear of startup costs is something that stops a lot of people. So let's talk about what those essential protections are and how much they cost on average. Before you start with any private client, you need professional liability insurance. It's the very first thing you need to protect yourself and your clinical license. It only costs about $100 a year, so that will be your first tax-deductible cost. Count on that. Then, depending on your city or town, you will likely need a business license. This is a very quick, easy, and cheap process, and it's a simple application that usually costs about $25. Then, you need to figure out how you'll document your services. Rather than sign up for a computer-based software documentation system from the beginning, you will do that eventually, but you can get started with a paper-based documentation system and a locked filing cabinet from target that will set you back about 25 bucks so if you're keeping track your initial investment to start a private practice with the knowledge that you already have is hundred and fifty dollars hundred and fifty dollars do you realize how insane that is you're likely going to charge about hundred dollars an hour when you get started you will make back that money almost instantly This is significantly cheaper than virtually any other business that you could possibly start. You can spend more money on this. You can rent clinic space. You can buy tons of formal assessments for about $500 or more a pop. You can go on a treatment materials spending spree. You can buy those things, but you don't need them to get started. Protection is your number one most important expense When you're first getting started in my course i literally give people a list of these steps and tell them everything they need to do in order this is the part where most people get stuck i don't want you or anyone else getting stuck here because i'm telling you getting your ducks in a row is easier than you think especially when you let me be your mama duck is this making sense to you is this starting to feel less intimidating So you can literally start a private practice for about $150 and be profitable after a few sessions depending on how much you charge. I teach people how to start as debt-free private practices as possible because I don't want anyone stacking business loans on top of student loans. Once you have your ducks in a row, you're able to start seeing clients and promoting your private practice. This is step number three. This is the step when you get your first client and clients, but to do that, you have to start getting the word out. Remember that quote from the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come? Well, it doesn't really work like that in real life or in private practice either. If you build a private practice, you have to tell people about it and use simple but effective marketing strategies to fill your caseload to your desired level. When people get nervous about whether or not they'll be good at marketing, I remind them that marketing is communication. I'm gonna say that again because it's really important. Marketing is communication. And that's great because you're an SLP. You literally have a master's degree in communication. You teach people how to communicate effectively every single day. Here's how you'll apply your knowledge as an SLP to successfully market your private practice. All marketing is, is communicating the right message to the right people in the right way. It's way easier than you think. I don't want you to get all distracted or worried about marketing being about glossy materials or bright colors or fancy gift baskets. It's really much more simple than that. It's basic. It's about effectively communicating with people who need help something that I think you know how to do. Now, once you have your first client, you need to get paid. Step number four is where we talk about making sure that you get paid for your services. Now, lots of clinicians have conflicting feelings about money when it comes to private practice. People tend to be nervous about charging for their services. They say things like, I love this so much, I would do it for free. But the truth is, you have done it for free. You've done it for free for a long time. Anytime you've worked on the weekend or stayed late or bought materials to use for your clients that you weren't reimbursed for, you have worked for free. If you wanna continue to be underpaid and underappreciated for what you do, private practice isn't right for you. Private practices are businesses. Businesses are designed to make money. You can be a helping people person and a business person at the same time. It's not either or. And if you know this information in your head, but you have a hard time accepting it in your heart, keep listening because I want to change some of your old money mindsets. There are three main ways that private practitioners are paid. Firstly, private pay. Secondly, insurance including Medicare and Medicaid, and also school contracts. I always, always, always recommend that people get started with private pay, even if you're worried about sustaining that model long term. Quite simply, it's clean and easy. You exchange your time for someone else's money, paid by cash, check or credit card, or even FSA card. If you do decide to go the insurance route, you will have to become a provider. This involves filling out an application, waiting to be approved, learning what they will and won't cover, and figuring out how to use their billing system. The learning curve on this is steep, which is why I don't recommend it for beginners. Yes, I do teach people how to deal with insurance, Medicare and Medicaid, and how to get school contracts, but these are more advanced topics. In the beginning, you need to focus on getting your first clients, not the rest of your clients. No matter what, you have amazing skills to offer. There are people in your community who are willing to pay for your expertise. The easiest way to calculate how much you can earn in private practice is to figure out how many sessions per week you wanna do, then multiply that times your hourly rate, and then multiply that by how many weeks you want to work that will give you your estimated annual salary. So let's just say that you wanted to start on a really small scale and you treated one client once a week over the course of a year and you charge $100 per session. Pre-tax, that would add up to $5,200. For how many of you listening, would an extra $5,200 be more than your annual raise? or more than you need for your kid's camp or a nice vacation. Okay, let's do a little bit more math. Let's say that you see that client twice a week or two different clients, so two sessions per week. Now you're at $10,400 and you still haven't quit your job. You followed what I teach and you haven't incurred a lot of expenses. You're doing just what you normally do during every session that you have all day long, only this time, You're doing it around your schedule and planning to do as many of these private pay therapy sessions as you can manage. How cool would that be? Now, let's up the ante quite a bit. Let's say that you could do 16 sessions per week. That's four clients per day over four days or two long days of seeing clients. And now, because you have more experience, you're now charging $125 an hour. In this scenario, you're able to net over $100,000 working part-time hours. Isn't that unbelievable? Now let's really max it out. Let's say that you could do 30 sessions per week and you're charging $150 per hour, again, because you're an expert level clinician and you happen to live in a high-priced area like New York or San Francisco, okay? mathematically that would equate to $234,000 per year. Isn't that insane? And you wouldn't have to do all of those hours yourself either, right? You could hire independent contractors and employees to maximize that time. And of course, you're now probably thinking, well, I have to pay them. And yes, you do. So that number does go down, but I hope that you're starting to see how the math behind how many sessions you can do works. So let me have you go back and do this math for yourself again. Figure out how many sessions per week you can do, multiply that by your hourly rate, and multiply that by how many weeks you want to work in a year. That will give you an estimate of what your annual salary could be for private practice pre-tax. In private practice, there is no ceiling on your income. You are only limited by time and creativity. If you want to raise, pick up another client or raise your rates. Think about your regular job for a second. What is the top salary range for your position? Maybe it's not all that higher than where you are now. In private practice, you can break the ceiling. Okay, let's talk about the last step, step number five the prosper in private practice step. Now, this step goes on for a really long time. In this phase, you continue to grow to the level of success that you desire. The sky is the limit here. Now, quick business lesson. There are five ways to grow a business, including a private practice. And this is the kind of thing we talk about in the prosper phase. One, you can see more clients. Two, you can charge a higher rate. Three, you can minimize overhead, therefore saving money. Four, you can create consistent systems. And five, you can free up your time for income-producing activities by hiring people like assistants to take care of the non-skilled work. That is how people prosper in private practice. I also wanna share three major and common mistakes to avoid when starting a private practice. Mistake number one, Believing that you have to wait until you're ready to start a private practice. Who loves to get their ducks in a row? SLPs love to get their ducks in a row. People think that they need to do a lot of things before they get started in private practice. You do want to do these things early on, but you don't have to have done all of these things before you got started. Here's the list. Forming an LLC. Getting an electronic documentation system. Renting clinic space. Having a website picking the perfect name, becoming an insurance provider, and more. Again, these are all things that you're going to want to do, but don't let them stop you from starting. Your speed doesn't matter. Forward is forward. Waiting for the right time for everything to be perfect or to have all of your ducks in a row will actually have you moving in the reverse direction, and you'll never open due to being stuck in analysis paralysis. Let's talk about mistake number two. Believing that starting a private practice is too risky. One of the biggest things I hear people say is that they are worried about making a mistake and getting sued. A lot of people think that starting a private practice is too risky and that they are terrified of making a mistake. So terrified that they don't ever start. But there are specific ways to minimize your legal financial and personal risk. One of the easiest ways to minimize your financial risk is to start by seeing clients on the side, after work, on the weekends, or over the summer. Then as your caseload and your referrals grow, you can decrease the hours at your regular job and increase your time in private practice. In fact, one of my students said, I think I just assumed that if I decided to go into private practice, that I had to quit my job and go for it full-time. It's less scary to know that that's not the only option. According to the ASHA 2015 healthcare survey, 64% of private practitioners work in private practice part-time. So if you decide to go the part-time route, even to start, you'll be in good company. The biggest risk in this whole thing is not being able to get out of your own way and just start, knowing that you're gonna make some mistakes but you'll learn from them, trusting that you'll have enough of the right kinds of clients, knowing that you're documenting and billing properly, knowing that you have the safeguards in place to protect yourself and your practice. You all are smart. You know this stuff. You just need to see that every day that you're not treating clients, people are missing out. They're missing out on much-needed, high-quality therapy. You are missing out on helping more people. You're missing out on income. You're missing out on fulfilling your dreams. You're missing out on spending time with your kids or being that clinician that you've always wanted to be when you got started. Now let's talk about mistake number three, believing that you have to wait until late in your career to start your private practice. As I mentioned before, I had no clue that it would be possible to start a private practice earlier in my career. In fact, I started my private practice within a year of getting my Cs. Now, that might surprise or even shock some people, but I made sure that I had valuable skills to offer, even though I had less experience. So here's what I did. I realized that I could take courses to level up my knowledge as I gained experience. I completed the Lee Silverman Voice Training Program for adults with Parkinson's. That's how I got my start. Quick point here. I'm not talking about misrepresenting yourself in any way. That would be a violation of the code of ethics. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is getting advanced certifications or participating in advanced training programs that you can use that information to not only level up your knowledge, but to build your private practice. Do you see how having the knowledge and skills from those kind of programs can help build your practice? Is this making sense? This may sound counterintuitive, but I recommend that you become an expert because of your private practice. Don't wait to become an expert before starting your practice. If you do it that way, you'll never feel expert enough and you'll never start. You don't have to have 20 plus years of experience to bring something to the table. Okay, and quickly, I have one bonus mistake that I really wanted to include. Some people believe that you have to have a business background to be successful in private practice. So I asked people in the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group, did you have any business experience? By a landslide, most people said no, that they had started their private practice without any sort of a business degree. Here's one of my favorite quotes. If you don't build your dream, then someone will hire you to build theirs. It's much easier to be an employee and follow someone else's rules. But for many of us, their rules are limiting and we are committed to building our own dreams. And now I wanna talk to you about three ethical considerations that I want you to be aware of if you're just getting started. First ethical issue I wanna talk to you about has to do with non-compete clauses which are legally binding documents that employers often have you sign to make sure that you will not compete directly with them financially. Now, many settings have their employees sign these non-compete clauses. And if you signed one, you need to look at how it's written. Many have language that restricts you from seeing your own private clients, especially within a certain geographic distance, and maybe also for a certain length of time after you end your employment with them you may be able to see clients who are not in the primary location. Another example is that if you work with children in one location, you may be able to work with a different population, say accent modification in your own practice as that's a different population. If you didn't sign a non-compete clause, you still can't take clients from your employer. That's one of the things I'm gonna talk about next. I always recommend being upfront with your employer and letting them know what you're planning to do. Be careful about burning bridges and making people mad. I am a believer in karma, and we just want to keep things on the up and up. Honesty is the best policy. I also want to mention that I think a lot of SLPs think that the best way to learn the ropes of private practice is to work for someone else's private practice. But this approach often leads to hurt feelings and business owners feeling used when you leave. If you wanna start a private practice, don't go work for one first, start your own. The next ethical issue I wanna talk about is different but related to the first one, and it's about not obtaining clients from your primary place of employment. ASHA has a wonderful resource on this on the website, but in short, it's a conflict of interest when financial issues might influence personal judgment such as seeing clients from your primary place of employment. Now, if you're going to be working with clients, clients are allowed to decide where and with whom they receive services. They need to be fully aware of the differences between seeing a clinician at the primary place of employment or in private practice. You need to disclose this to your supervisor and administrators and get their permission to move forward. Many settings, including school districts, usually have rules against this, but you are able to see clients from neighboring school districts. The big takeaway is, if you find yourself involved in a conflict of interest, walk away. If you want to see private clients, find out what the rules are and then follow them. It's a small SLP world out there. Don't burn bridges. The third ethical consideration that I want you to be careful of is to not represent yourself or your services. When people hire private practitioners, they are assuming that the person is qualified or highly qualified to treat their diagnosis or disorder. So be careful calling yourself an expert if you're not one yet. Now you can always take CEU courses such as these to make up for this in some capacity. And also I want you to remember that CEUs that you pay for are tax deductible for business owners as continuing education expenses. Additionally, getting extra certifications is a great way to become in demand in your area. There are quite a few people in my paid program for beginners who, although they're new to the field, they have quite a bit to offer. Related to this, I recommend that you become an expert because of your private practice versus waiting to become an expert and then start. The big takeaway here is don't portray yourself as an expert if you're not or not yet. Who feels better about this now? Is it helpful to know more about the process of starting a private practice and some pitfalls to avoid? Do you think if you were able to start small and spent money on protecting your practice and not yet on big things like office space, and if you were able to get your first clients relatively easy and in a not overwhelming way, and instead of letting your fears stop you from ever starting, do you think you could be successful? I hope you feel better about this and see how this can work for you, just like it's worked for me, for my students, all of which who are regular clinicians who were scared too. So again, I talked about the five-step system that I teach SLPs for how to start their successful private practices. Picture your private practice, protect your private practice, promote your private practice, get paid in private practice, and prosper in private practice. Does this make sense? Is this framework easy to follow? More importantly, do you think that this is something that you can follow, especially if you knew all of the individual steps in each one? Private practice allows you to take back control of your life and your future. If you take one thing away, I want you to know that you can be the clinician that you've always wanted to be on your terms. Now, in my experience as a private practice consultant, successful private practices don't build themselves. You have permission to do this for yourself, for your clients, for your future, but you might need some help to get there. I hope that you've gotten value from this presentation today. I hope that you learned something that you didn't know before. I hope that you saw something in a way that you didn't see before. And I've got more for you. There is so much more where this comes from. And I have so much more to share with you. And I'm so grateful for Vanita for inviting me to be part of this SLP Live podcast CEU event. Now, if you want to learn more about private practice, there are two main ways to go about this. One is to subscribe to my podcast, the Private Practice Success Stories Podcast, where I interview successful private practitioners from around the U.S. and even the world and find out how they got started and what they've learned in the process. You can subscribe to that on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to know more about how to start a private practice step-by-step, I have a private practice roadmap that you can pick up completely free. To grab your copy, just visit startyourprivatepractice.com backslash roadmap, or it can be found in the free goods section of the SLP Live website. I'm glad that we had this time together. I hope that it was both informational and inspirational to you, and that if you need help to build your private practice, you will reach out to me. I can also be found on Instagram at independentclinician.com. Talk soon. So I hope that you enjoyed the presentation. When I recorded it, I was trying to be really mindful about the time. And so I do have a little extra space at the end and I decided to fill it with the five most popular questions that I get in the SLP Private Practice Beginners Facebook group and on Instagram, where I often do Q and A stories. So here are the five most popular questions and they might be questions that you have too. So question number one is how do you get started? Well, that's what I aimed to answer in this episode. If you wanna dive deeper, you can check out the Private Practice Roadmap, which you can pick up at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash roadmap, or in the free goods section of the SLP Live website. The next most popular question I get is, what should I charge? So I get this question all the time. People say things like, What's the going rate for speech therapy in blank city? Now, there's no such thing as a standard going rate in our profession, skilled clinicians, maybe for babysitters, but not for private practitioners. It's not a bad question, but it's not the right question. People are looking for a magic number, an easy answer, a shortcut. Promise me this, don't base your rate on an arbitrary number or someone else's value. Base your rate on your value and what you bring to the table. Every speech therapy private practice owner needs to make an important decision. How much to charge for private speech therapy services? It's dangerous to base your rate off of someone else, and here's why. One, you know nothing about their level of experience. Two, you know nothing about their clinical expertise. Three, you know nothing about the quality of services they are providing or which population they're providing it to. Four, it can be construed as price fixing, which is illegal. Check Ash's stance on that on their website. If you want to start a speech therapy private practice, you need to make sure that you're doing it the smart way. Basing your rates on the rates of other professionals is not smart. So, what should you base your rates on? What you bring to the table. Your rate needs to be based on factors unique to you and to the individual needs of your private practice. It should be based on factors like your years of experience, your level of expertise, your advanced training, and the cost of running your private practice. You can take into consideration travel time, overhead costs, etc base your private therapy rate on what you bring to your clients and to the clinical and functional benefits that you provide. Repeat after me. Do not base your price on what other people are charging. Base it on the value that you provide. Okay, where do you find clients? This is another very popular question. And I think one of the reasons is because SLPs tend to be worried about where to find clients because they are afraid that they won't know where to look or how to talk about their private practice without coming off as pushy or salesy. Now, I go in depth in this in my programs, but there are three main things that you need to do to get clients. One, increase your findability, think websites. Two, increase awareness of your practice in your community, and three, build relationships with other professionals and community members who will refer clients to you. Working on all three of these will help make sure that you're following a marketing plan and not leaving any stone unturned. For my beginners, I recommend getting started with a website so that people who are looking for services can find you. I also recommend getting the word out about your practice by talking to people and developing relationships with other professionals who have the same ideal clients as you. You can't build a private practice, even if it's a few clients, without telling people about it. You have to put yourself out there enough for people to know that you exist. How do you know when you're ready to start a private practice? The simple answer is when you decide that you're ready. You need to make sure that you're fully licensed and I recommend practicing enough for you to have enough skills to bring to the table. I think people want me to give them a hard number of years or a certain number of clinical experiences or things like that. But the truth is you are ready when you decide to be ready. Last question what is the biggest piece of advice for beginners? So lots of people ask this, lots of people wanna know what I recommend to beginners and what other established private practitioners recommend for beginners. And my number one piece of advice on this is to give yourself permission to pivot. You can make a decision in your life or in your business that worked at the time, but doesn't work anymore. And instead of quitting or failing, take a step back, reassess, and pivot. For example, if you're working in the schools and you've come to a point where it's not fulfilling for you anymore, give yourself permission to pivot. Similarly, if you've started your private practice and you're wanting to serve one population and then you later realize that you want to serve another, give yourself permission to pivot. If you have always been private pay only in your practice and you feel like you need to open up to doing insurance, give yourself permission to pivot and add additional payer sources. People tell me all the time that they are afraid of failing in private practice. Rather than letting fear of failure stop you, give yourself permission to pivot. I hope that you enjoyed the answers to these questions in addition to the presentation altogether. It was a pleasure sharing this information with you, and I do hope that you will be in touch. Take care.
1: Thank you for participating in SLP Live. Remember that listening to this pod course does not automatically guarantee ASHA CEUs. If you want to earn up to 0.8 ASHA CEUs for this conference, there's just a small $25 administration fee to process and submit your paperwork. You can pay this administration fee and find more details at slp-live.com. Once your purchase is made, an email will be sent to you containing the course evaluation, feedback survey, and CE paperwork. Please submit these materials by November 9, 2019 at 8 PM Eastern standard time. SLP live would like to thank its sponsors for offering products, services, and, or discounts as giveaways to attendees at no charge. You can see a list of these sponsors on the SLP live website. SLP live would also like to thank the presenter of this course who has provided her speaking services at no charge. Can't get enough CEUs? Medbridge Continuing Education has offered to give away a premium membership. Yes, a premium membership. You can enter to win by taking a screenshot of this course and sharing it on social media. Use the hashtag SLPLive2019 so we can find you and you don't miss out. The winner will be announced by November 11th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this very first annual PodCon. Hi, Jetta. Hello. How's it going? I forgot I had that extra Q&A section at the end. (laughs) That's okay. It was nice. I think it probably covered some uh, questions that people might have had. And we did have another question in the chat. And I just wanted to preface really quick, you guys, I'm not sure what's happening with these captions tonight. We had no problems yesterday. Microsoft is just not playing nice tonight. But Jenna does have uh, the roadmap in the free goods section for you guys. And I think she also has show notes. So I'll let you kind of talk about that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, um, The cool thing about what I do is I help people explore this idea of private practice, right? We're all speech pathologists and there's lots of different settings that we can work in. And so for people who are curious about private practice, I want to make sure that you have information available to you and resources. When I started the podcast, The whole idea was to highlight different kinds of private practices, because one of my philosophies is that there's no one way to have a private practice. So we have about 40 something episodes, and you can go to privatepracticesuccessstories.com for the show notes for that, or you can look up the podcast and find it, you know, in iTunes and Google and every place else.
1: Great. So the one question that I saw in the chat, I'll just read it directly from there, was if you're branching out into a similar field such as life coaching or career coaching, is this something that competes with my SLP contracts? What if a client crosses over and wants to see for voice and life coaching through my coaching practice?
0: That's a great question. So a lot of people decide to do private practices that might um, explain you know, be a little bit beyond the walls of traditional therapy. And so you just have to keep in mind, you know, at what point are you wearing your SLP hat? And at what point are you wearing your life coaching or other hat? So if it's, if you're truly providing a different service, you should, you should be okay, but you do still want to be upfront with anyone that you may have contracts with to let them know that this is what you're doing. Um, I said this in the in the interview, but I really believe the honesty is the best policy and just, you know, it goes a long way and it's, you know, gray areas are no fun. So be upfront with them. I did have an episode of the podcast that I can get you the link to later, but it, it's a private practitioner. I'm blanking on her name, unfortunately, but she's in the Boulder, Colorado area and she has a private practice that does a lot of life coaching as well. So I can get you the link to that afterward. Heather, got it.
1: That's great. I love how like this field has become like so well-rounded. I almost feel like you're a coach, you know, and you also have your private practice. Yeah. Uh, there was one quote that I really wanted to point out because I didn't see any other questions. I love what you, I liked so many points that you made, but the one that you said that, you know, if you don't start your private practice, you're like helping someone else's dream, like helping someone else build their dream. That was so good. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have to decide,
0: you know, what are we, what do we want, right? What do you want? in life. And um, another quote that I like that I didn't have in here is that, you know, opportunities don't go to, don't like just die. They go to someone else, right? So if you're thinking about private practice, if you have an opportunity that comes your way and you say no to it, either that opportunity will go to another private practitioner or perhaps worse, that client might go without services altogether. Right. So, you know, when these opportunities come up, sometimes people get really excited and then then they get excited first and then they get nervous second. Um, But you just kind of want to think about how do you want to spend your life in your career? And we obviously got into this field because we are helping people people. Right. And so we want to make sure that we are able to provide as much help as possible without losing sight of ourselves and our own needs and the needs of our families,
1: etc. Great point. There was another question that just came through. It says, do you have any thoughts on buying a private practice from a retiring SLP? Yeah,
0: I think that's a great option. And there's going to be a lot of those coming up. Um, when I went to the ASHA convention last year in Boston, I heard a statistic that I don't exactly remember it, but it's something about one third of the ASHA membership is going to retire in the next 10 years. So there are a lot of older SLPs who are going to be retiring, and therefore a lot of older private practitioners who are looking to sell their practices. The thing that's really great about that option is that you're buying something that is existing. You might have, you know, existing clients. You have maybe a building. You're buying all the materials. You just have to think about, you know, what is that private practice worth? Because they do want you to pay up front for that, right? As opposed to the way that I usually teach people to get started, which is small and slow and gradual, if you are really buying an existing business, that's usually going to require, like, larger loan and that kind of thing so if you're going to go that route i recommend like working with true business counselors that can help you think about that in your area and know really how much um, that practice might be worth but i see more and more every day people who are getting these opportunities to buy practices and i think one of the things that's nice about it is a lot of time the older slps just don't want to like like let it go all together, they want to mentor people, right? So they sometimes find people, young SLPs, that they really like and think have good potential because they want to leave their private practice in good hands. So I think it's a really nice option, um, but there are lots of considerations as well.
1: Great. All right. Well, I don't see any other questions, and we are about at the end. So, if you guys uh, have any direct questions related to CEUs, or you want to reach out to Jenna, you can reach out to her directly on social media, or if you send an email to info at slp-live.com, I'll make sure to forward it to her or answer any questions you guys have regarding CEUs. So, thank you so much for you're attending first, <laughs> and thank you, Jenna, for presenting such an awesome uh, presentation. Thank you everyone for being here and listening. All right. Have a great night, everybody.
0: Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school, but here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned And I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training, specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks the start track and the grow track because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different the trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly i want to teach you how to think act and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click start or grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at Independent Clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.